You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter and we think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. So central, then dealing with questions and unknown answers can feel really destabilizing. Uh, The wool can unravel so far, we wonder, can we believe in anything anymore? Can anything be known or true or right? And it can lead many of us to a really uncomfortable place where we face uh, the very real proposition, how do we hold on to conviction, on to justice, on to morality uh, amidst the unknowns? How do we navigate doubt, uncertainty and questions without falling apart completely? Big questions. Uh, And so to bring all of the answers and wrap it all up in a bow for us tonight, I'm excited to invite our panel. (laughs) Uh, But tonight we're welcoming Matt. Welcome to the stage, Matt. Thank you. The uh, in-house designer. Um, We're welcoming Joanna. Sure. Thank you. Uh, And finally, Sammy. You. (laughs) Do you want to trade? (laughs) Okay. And... What I'm going to do is give you this mic. This really is this really is re-raveled. Maybe I need to just come this way. All right. Have fun over there. <laughs> Social distance, so true. Um, to start off with, just to uh, get us rolling, to learn a little bit about you, I'm asking you to share just one thing that brings you joy. And we had a breadth of very shallow and deep answers last week, so feel free to take that where you want to. Well, thanks. Um, as Steph said, I'm Matt. My pronouns are he, him. And what really invigorates and excites me is just music. Music in, it, in all its forms. I love, you know, the physical experience of the beat, the beauty of poetry and lyricism in words and just the overall experience. It's something that brings us together as humanity and something that, yeah, I find a lot of joy in. Love that. Uh, I thought of two things. The first was colour, the concept of colour. I love colour. I love the colour of glass where light comes through it, the colour of green leaves with the sun on it, big blocks of colour in a night gallery, which is just like colour. And then the other thing I love is um, getting together with friends and just hanging out and laughing. Laugh until you piss your pants. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, hi, I'm Sam. I use she, her pronouns. Um, same thing as Matt. Mine is music. Stole my line. Um, specifically, uh, jazz music and gospel music. I really like how accurately um, gospel music captures like the joy and the excitement of faith and how amazingly they kind of wrap that all up in like this huge exciting bow and it's got so much instruments and music and voices and it's really, really great. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, and now just getting into the real deep stuff about deconstruction. Uh, Segway. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your journey of deconstructing or reconstructing faith in as much of a nutshell as that can be, like whether there were like maybe a few key experiences, but just summarising that journey for us. Amazing. I'm going first. Um, yeah, so my journey of deconstruction kind of starts probably when I was about like 10 or 11. And I started realising that like the gender bender episodes that they always do on kids TV shows were hitting me a little too hard. Um, and were a little bit too important to me and I liked them a little bit too much. Um, but kind of as I grew up in the church and I was in a semi-conservative church in the Blue Mountains, it was made very clear that, that was a shameful thing. That was not something I should be doing, that that was uh, something to hide and something to not let anyone know about. And as I kind of continued reading the Bible through that lens, it revealed a picture of God that was very cold to me not very warm, not very loving, and it revealed a people in the church that wouldn't be super accepting of the thing that I had discovered about myself. Um, so kind of when I left the church, as you kind of do as you hit your 19s and 20s, um, I went uh, travelling after I got a job in Singapore, um, kind of like put name to the feeling that was transgender and kind of I had given up on going to church. I thought it was something that I wouldn't do anymore. I was thinking, okay, I had a group of people that were really passionate about one thing and had a very strict sense of theology that wasn't really going to change. So I'd kind of said, okay, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to be spiritual and kind of feel what I can with God rather than put words to it and put theories to it. Um, until quite recently, when Joel told me about a little church he'd be starting called New City Church. Um, and that kind of encouraged me after I'd been to a few other affirming churches as well to kind of start picking up the pieces and rebuilding uh, my faith in a way that was accepting and was loving and was filled with justice um, because I realised that church was very much the people it wasn't the strict dogma, um, it wasn't the in-line rules and I realised that I didn't need to throw the whole Bible out like I thought I'd had to. Um, so it was, you know, a bit <laughs> very turbulent, very intense but I've only recently started doing that. I think I've probably been on the verge of deconstructing since I was like 10 but only really pulled the trigger at like 21 and now just starting to rebuild again. Thank you. Um, my story, uh, so I sort of started going to church years ago when, in my early 20s and um, then about 2013 I decided I should go to Bible college and that was the beginning of the end. 
<laughs> and um, so, yeah, so my deconstruction started when I started started just really thinking through the uh, Bible. One of the first subjects we had was an Old Testament survey subject and we got... I got through uh, Adam and Eve. That was okay, and then we got to um, then we got to the plagues and um, Moses, and and the Egyptians. Like so, the plagues essentially about the other gods of the other areas and Yahweh dominating. And I'm going the what, the the what, and so the the Egyptians have other gods, and so there's this worldview. We've got this worldview where there's other gods and that really that messed with my head a lot because I thought there was only one god and um and so then it was like okay well if these people uh if they have this worldview I don't have we don't have that worldview and so then things just started to get really messy and I didn't know how to read the bible and didn't know where what to think at all and then about the same time uh, I was working for the Anglican Church that I was going, uh, that I was attending, and it was about this, the time of the um, the same-sex vote, and I just saw people getting hurt and people just acting badly, and so there was the uh, my whole question about well, this the Bible doesn't make sense to me, and then we've got people who claim to have divine authority hurting people. And I'm just like, this is just a mess. And it sort of started to fall apart from there. That's me. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Um, so my experience has been one kind of through um, being part of a conservative Baptist church where the values of faith, what was seen as worth anything, was just purely head knowledge. If you knew the answers, you were all set. Um, and what I saw of that was a really restrictive and um, a, a faith that caused people to suppress things. So that was basic things such as don't raise your hand in worship. That's what those evil Pentecostals do, right? And I don't believe you're evil Pentecostals, just to be clear. Um, but that going right through um, this really performative aspect, and I guess... For me, I always felt like a bit of an outlier as um, a brown man in a very white church and also as a somewhat effeminate man in um, the kind of toxic masculinity of the church as well. So noticing all those aspects of performance, um, which were how people displayed their faith, caused me to start unravelling a lot of that probably as a late teenager. Um, and the other part, I think, was I was always, you know, the good student who read the Bible. Um, and I was also really passionate about English studies at high school. So what I started hearing consistently was, and reading through different texts, was this notion that metaphor and symbolism is often more beautiful than the literal. So when you're reading a really good book, there are things you pick up on that you're not meant to just read that, you know, the wall is red. The wall actually does mean something and you're meant to feel a resonance there. And so it took me a good few years from, you know, English studies to probably, you know, 10 years later when I started applying that to the Bible and I'm like, ah, oh, my way of, you know, 
seeing that the whale was a literal thing that happened in Jonah and the big fish, not a whale, <laughs> Jonah and the big fish, um, that there's so much more to be gained. Um, and so those, those have been two of the key things, but I could talk forever, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you to the three of you. Uh, I appreciate how diverse, like, the entry points into, like, questioning and, you know, yeah, that's um, a really lovely breadth. Um, when we're wading into talking about uncertainty and questions and unknowns, um, it might be helpful to start with certainty and how how was certainty part of Christian faith or faith in your experience? Hi, hello. Um, certainty mainly played a part in my faith, mostly to do with just, I mean, obviously binaries being the strict system that it is, it kind of, it's hard to explain. When I was young, it was just always your binary two things. It was good and evil, women and men, um, people that were with Christ, people that were without Christ, gay and straight, like it was just super strict and super set the whole entire time. And having known nothing different, it didn't matter to me. It was just always what it was. I didn't really question it. I didn't really take anything into consideration. Growing up in the Blue Mountains, like there are not really a lot of people that don't follow that mould either. So I think in my childhood and when I wasn't questioning or deconstructing, it just seemed to explain the natural way of things on a surface level. The certainty of my faith was, oh, God made the world this way. And from what I see, the world is that way. So that's a very natural way to look at it. Um, it gave me a sense of pride in a way, a pride that I'm not particularly proud of in that like I had everything figured out. Like us in the church, us in the Christian church, we're very lucky that we, you know, we'd kind of locked in the God that was right. All of the other gods were wrong. We'd locked in what to do. Everyone else was doing everything else wrong. And it was very um, kind of reinforced through Sunday school and through um, youth group that uh, this is always the way to go on and always the way to be. Um, and we're kind of getting into the deconstructing part later and the uncertainty. But in that time, it obviously, it felt good. It felt safe. It felt like everyone was on the same wavelength and everyone was feeling the same things in a way that made you feel like a really special community. Um, it's a community, I think, that kind of trembles very quickly as soon as hardship is encountered. But when you're a kid and when you're going to school, there's rarely, or for me, there was rarely enough times where it shook it hard enough to shake the faith. It was just, oh, everything's going well in my life. Everything is going well for the people in my life. This faith thing is working. I'm certain that this is the way that things are supposed to be. Um, my experience is quite different because doubt has always been part of my faith. Um, I, I grew up, my, uh, my mum is Christian of the Pentecostal type and my dad's an atheist. And so I've always had those two voices. And um, uh, I'm married. My husband is also not, um, not a Christian. I'm not sure he'd say he's an atheist, but he's certainly not a Christian. Um, 
And so doubt has always been around. And I used to picture doubt for me. Uh, like I, there was a, an image I have of a sculpture where there's a, the core is like a solid metal shape, cube. And then around it is there's something along the lines like fairy floss or cloud or something. And that's how I saw my faith, that there was always the, the mist and the stuff around, but there was always that solid core that was a bit unshakable. Um, and so I was quite comfortable with that way of seeing doubt, that um, that was okay because that, col- that solid core was always there. And, um, and I was free to sort of move around in the mist around it. Um, deconstruction has cracked that core and that's, that's scary. And we'll talk about more of that later. Thanks. So my um, experience is similar to Sammy's um, in that for me growing up, it was all about certainty. That was the best thing you could possibly have and doubt was audibly named as an enemy of faith. Um, an enemy of holiness and upright standing and doing the right thing. Um, So the deconstruction for me came really late. So it would have been in my mid to late 20s when when I started recognising that the world is so big, uh, there's so much complexity to it. That, you know, I heard a phrase the other day from Rob Bell that, you know, the earth doesn't, isn't actually straight up, the earth is tilted and we're on a planet that's tilted. And I think that's representative of my experience that nothing is simple, nothing can be explained in binary terms. Um, so that was really key for me is that doubt became an opportunity to, for faith to evolve. Um, and it was an enormous and it was a really challenging step because I felt like when I started to doubt basic things that I think everyone has questions about, like heaven, hell, etc. Um, I thought that my whole faith was shot and I was going to hell and there was a real fear there. So the capacity and the assistance from and love from other people to step into somewhere and step into a place where doubt could be a process that we go through as part of faith was really powerful. Mm. You've, uh, you've all done some really good foreshadowing of where our conversation is going. Um, yeah, I think something that is hard about the, the certainty is it's so often attached to belonging as well. Like the, the ideas or the concepts of belief of being black and white are also then attached to whether you're in or you're out and that also is black and white and, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask... What are, what are some of the big questions that, that have been part of your deconstruction or reconstruction? What are some of the big questions? Um, I think the, like a few of the main ones that I had probably were, do people that have never read the Bible or know about God, are they going to hell? That seems a little harsh to me and I think that's kind of rude. Um, the... The one was obviously, uh, is there room in the love of God to love someone like me? Is that a possible thing to happen or love everyone in the queer community? Um, And I think the last one was, is 
uh, more about the way of going about life as a Christian of is it, you know, uh, do I need to stick to the strict dogmas of reading the Bible every day, doing a meditation every day, preaching about God to everyone you meet, being a massive um, uh, evangelizer who goes around, or can I just lead a life that is just and good and honest and then people will notice that and then ask what's up. Um, those three specific ones kind of come from very specific points in my life. Um, like the first one was just about a talk about how, you know, God is two things at once. He's both loving, but he can also be uh, quite harsh. He's both kind, but he can also be distant. Um, and it was the comments on, you know, people that grow up in third world countries that have never, don't have access to a Bible, don't have access to a Bible in their language, were never taught about the Bible. And, you know, we'd spent the whole entire talk talking about how loving God is, how he wants to save all of his children, how he wants to be with them for eternity. And then the teacher was just like, but if you don't know God, you won't go to heaven. And the question was brought up and they're just like, it's, it's the way of God. We don't know. It's mystery. And I think that really set in my brain a really big irritant of it's, it doesn't seem like it's mystery. It seems like it's hypocritical and it seems like it's a bit forward to say that, you know, God would send people that don't know he exists to hell even though they didn't have a chance. Um, second one, related to gender. I feel like we're all across that point. I feel like we know what's going on with that. But also kind of just... Gender, yeah, we're all over that. We're yeah. all over that. we got all bases covered. We've got like all 83 of them done. Um, that kind of just stemmed from a larger realisation of, you know, God doesn't like white people more than black people. God doesn't like men more than women. God doesn't like people with short hair more than people with long hair. So God doesn't love straight people more than gay people. Like it was just a very kind of natural evolution that came around. And the more I saw how the church treated people, I was like, this all feels like a farce anyway. It feels like this is a very human constructed thing that humans are putting on other humans and has nothing to do with how God sees things. Um, and then the last one was just, as Thomas was saying last week, my difficulty of reading the Bible. I was feeling very guilty. Um, I don't read the Bible nearly as much as I should. And I kind of had a lot of guilt about that for a long time. I'm still working through that one actually. Um, and that was kind of, the catalyst of thinking like how can I lead a life that is just and loving and can I do that without sticking to these strict practices that the church has set out for us. As a little tangent there, some of us were at a talk of Rob Bell on Friday night and he mentioned that his wife Kristen has this phrase that is like, oh, we don't want should on us. You know, you've got should all over you. You know, get the should off you. So anyways, shoulds. You know, we don't want them on us. Um, what would have been some? What would have been some question, of your big questions? Big questions. Okay. Um, the first one relates back to the the um, Exodus story. Uh, that whole um, awareness that I am born in this time, in this place, in this body, in this gender informs how I see the world and it informs how we all see the world. And so then it informs how we see God. And so 
really thinking through that different people in different different places, times, different experiences see God, understand God in a different way really is destabilizing for me because why should I trust the way I understand God any more than how God has been understood over thousands of years or even just in different places now or even in this room. And so um, the, the big question is that, that is how? How do I understand God? Which is, you know, not a small question. And then the second one, which is also not a small question, I think is um, for some reason my own death has become far more of a reality to me than it ever has been sort of in the last 12 months. I'm, I'm not. I don't know when I'm dying. I'm not terminally ill or anything. But the um, the concept of my own death is not is not um, is not something. Oh yeah, I'll die one day. It's actually no. I know I'm going to die. Like actually, it's very real to me, and that is quite terrifying to be honest. Because so the big question out of that is: Well, is there actually a God? Will I have consciousness once I leave this body? And you could say, well, if I don't have consciousness, what does it matter? Because you won't know about it, which is fair enough. But I don't, but it kind of does because I love life. I love, I love nature. I love kindness. I love, there's so much to love about being alive. And um, I don't want to. I don't want that to end, you know. I actually really want there to be eternal life, but I don't know what that means or what that looks like. So is there actually eternal life is a question, a big, big question for me. Um, and then from that, what, does it, what is eternity? Just, you know, just fix four months. <laughs> this seems ridiculous. It's a long time, but it's also before. Like if it's eternity, then eternity is without time and so therefore it's before as well. Anyway, I could go down a rabbit hole now. Question, discussions you'll only ever hear in church with Christians <laughs> talking. <laughs> so they're my big questions. Uh, I have very similar ones, but I'll, I'll start with an anecdote. Um, because one of my big questions is... How do, can I know what is true and how can I know what to act upon in terms of faith um, and love and eternity is a huge one for me. But earlier this week I had a really, really embarrassing moment where um, thankfully I didn't speak it out loud just for context. But at some point in my childhood I was in Sunday school and we're learning the story of Adam and Eve. And the teacher up the front who had all the authority, they were the experts, said, and that story is why men have one less rib than women. And as a kid, I accepted this. And it was literally last week that I found out that that is that men don't have one less rib than women. And I was literally like, I saw it on a TikTok video, and I'm like, ah, oh, I am like, <laughs> Christianity is a trip, like, 
like we, like there are some things that we really like we really need to work through but that kind of plays into yeah that's a really clear example where there is an objective truth that i missed along the way but that ties into the same questions as have been raised what do we do with human suffering um and there are there are great theologies around that which can help us process and understand, but there's also still the fundamental question um, and the questions of injustice and how, and how that works with God's love um, and with eternity. So mine are exactly the same. And I, this is not a sermon about how to resolve this. It's just we're all on the same page. No, the brief was you tie it all up in a bow for us, you know. <laughs> um, but the question was around big questions, and they are big questions. And I think, uh, you know, we, they're, they're big and a lot of us are holding them here in this room. So it's, I, it's probably a breath of fresh air to hear someone speak them out loud. So thank you for, for sharing. Um, so I want to um, ask you, how do you – these are big questions – Quite, they can be quite like, as you say, they can split the core of that um, that thing that you've always kind of relied on. Um, how do you how do you navigate unanswered questions, and how do you navigate the unknowns, um, the questions that maybe go unanswered? I really didn't want to go first on this one. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And it's really, really painful. And sometimes, uh, you know, when I'm contemplating my death and thinking about those questions, it, it, it's terrifying and it's really painful. Um, but how do we navigate it? One day at a time is the, what I'm doing. One day at a time. Um, this year I am uh, trying to feel more comfortable with the mystery, the not knowing. I think so my, the tradition that I've come out of is the uh, Anglican evangelical tradition where certainty and knowledge and knowing is really important and you have to know and your faith has to be so known. And um, no, <laughs> I don't. Um, and so being comfortable with the unknown is one way that I'm navigating it. Another way is showing up here, being in community. That's really important to me. Um, another community I have, I have uh, every week for the last couple of years on a Wednesday night, I've met with two friends who are also going through a similar thing in our own ways, not quite the same. Um, the spiritual uh, formation group. We have a little. We just we have we help each other be accountable, and we're real. Like you don't you can when you have when you are struggling you you can say it. Um, I'd have to look at my notes. I know. Um, okay, one thing. Um, one thing that I found just this week. I know they're really, they're really a bit scary. One um, 
just this week there was a podcast. I don't know if you listened to it, um, Spiritual Misfits. Has anyone listened to that one? Yeah. Did you hear like last week there was, I think I think the topic was uh, the new, new church. Did you hear that one? And, um, but it was talking, it, it was talking about um, a book by Brian McLaren, I think, called Faith After Doubt. And uh, in that book, um, I think that, um, Brian McLaren takes us through f- four different stages of faith. And I think, I know there's a lot of different frameworks for the stages of faith, but I found this one quite helpful this week anyway, um, which, and I think the phases are uh, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. And I think in the deconstruction, we're in this perplexity mode. So things start out pretty simple. Then uh, things get a bit more, a bit less black and white. And then in perplexity, things can really get a bit messy. And then harmony, you sort of make peace with um, where, where you are and where, what you've been through and what you think. And I actually found that helpful and hopeful because actually in, in a number of models of faith growth, faith journey, there is, there is a stage after perplexity. There is a harmony stage in different models to call different things. Uh, and so I, took, I take hope and I ta- uh, from being able to move into a harmony space again. So just keep going. All right, I'm ready. Um, it's just because my own thoughts on this are very tangled and a bit embarrassing. Um, I deal with uncertainty in two different ways. The first way is to reiterate to myself over and over again, none of us know what the objective truth is. None of us do. I feel like even from super conservative circles to non, to sacred, secular. I feel like, as Joe was saying, we all have different ideas of what God is, what they do, who they are. And I think I find comfort in the fact that we're all trying our hardest to live lives that honour them and live lives that are good to them. I, I think I just take comfort in it because I... I just see the diversity of it. Like I see that everyone is trying. Everyone might be worshipping different gods in different cultures. Everyone might be doing it in their own different way. But that in itself seems like something that's very God-based to me, a beautiful tapestry of a bunch of different people trying to do the same thing. Um, And I think from that and looking at the breadth of people who call themselves spiritual or worship some kind of deity – there's patterns that kind of emerge that kind of help guide how I think about faith and how I think about living good lives. Things like empathy, compassion, love, patience, like those things kind of tend to be really core to what even our society in general feels like is a good way to live your life. So in kind of balking at these massive theological questions that I don't know what to do with, I just need to focus myself and say, hey, everyone's trying, let's just try to stick to these things. Let's just try to make these things true in my everyday life. Um, And that kind of leads into the second thing is that I only try to think about and do things that I can control. 
Um, I don't need to keep myself up at night agonising over people that are suffering or people that are lost, people that aren't with God. I try to make little steps in my life. I try to make my presence that I'm a Christian known to everyone in my life. I just try and make little steps that I know I can manage every single day to try and enact change in the world. Um, Yeah, and that comes in many different forms depending on the questions I have or depending the things that I'm tackling. I think, you know, just getting out of bed in the morning is just a good way to do it. Um, Yes, like those two things are really important to me. Thanks. And those were both beautiful answers. I think for me, I grew up in a in a church tradition which was really focused on um, our depravity, consistently saying that we are inherently bad, we are inherently evil and depraved, and we cannot trust ourselves, we cannot trust our thoughts. So the process of deconstruction for me was largely breaking that down and coming to a place where I can hold to what I know to be true. Um, so in that, I would say that the focus becomes not what I don't believe, not what I'm unsure about, but what do I know of God? And as the years go by, I feel like I'm certain about more and more. I'm sorry, I'm certain about less and less. That's it. Um, but what I do know is the love of God and that There is a God undergirding everything and holding all things together and perpetually creating in love and perpetually creating beauty and meaning and hopefulness, creating flourishing things. And so for me, that is what I have to hold to. That's what I centre everything on and the belief from that, that if because the universe is expanding and expanding more, that we must have a God who is also expanding in love and is expanding with that. And we can know that our God is love and is therefore amongst us, present as that love. Certainly doesn't answer the theological questions, but it's what, you know, keeps me sane. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of similar to where we landed in our first panel on, you know, just this getting, not not having many answers to much, but, um, you know, Peter said, you know, there's something enchanted about the world or there's something here, there's something more that I just can't shake. And so that's why why we're here, because we believe in that um, without potentially knowing much else. Um, but that thing is good and worth chasing after and worth meeting together for to grasp. Um, For me, early on in my theological studies, the way that I dealt with uh, answers uh, and unknown answers was to do a theological degree, and I just got exposed to all the theology in the world, and not all of it, but, like, I I really got uh, exposed to quite a breadth of theology and just one by one, I think I've spoken about this, was just like, okay, yeah, going to get rid of that thing and latch on to that and get rid of that thing and latch on to that. And, you know, that kind of makes sense. I need a few other things to, like, fully figure that thing out. But, yeah, we'll just put that there for now and get rid of that thing. Um, But uh, really early on, um, my uh, Indigenous theology teacher told this Mi'kmaq wisdom story of... Uh, of a young man who goes to the elder in the community and says, look, I'm looking for the the answers to life. 
uh, and he's like, okay, you just walk west. Um, and so he grabs a buddy, starts walking west, and like, it's just like, what's going on here? Like, you know, must be something. Oh, wait, like, I think I see something up ahead. And so they walk a little bump in the road and like, hang on, once we get on top of that, like, I can kind of see another little bump up ahead. Like, that must be it. So they, like, walk up, walk, 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 walk up the little bump. It's, like, a little bit bigger than the last one. And they're, like, okay, there's another one there coming. Like, let's keep going. And so, like, eventually, like, they're just, like, up this, like, really, like, keep going up this mountain. And then, like, finally they're, like, maybe it'll just always be getting to a bigger mountain and a bigger mountain, but realising that, like, it's about the journey, we're never going to arrive. Uh, and for me, that was really pivotal in, in my relinquishing of certainty and arriving and having to have answers and just being like, who am I now? Who am I journeying with? How am I journeying? What's important? Uh, and letting go of maybe never arriving. Um, so that was really important for me. Um, one more question before I ask you to share something, uh, share a piece for us. Um, how in the middle of unknowns and questions and doubts and navigating this, um, how do you hold the tension of having conviction and having something to pin your life on or some form of grounding of like, this is how I want to live or this is how I think I should live or, you know, without the shoulds. I've already ratted on shoulds, um, without the certainty or in the unknowns. How do you have any form of like conviction in amongst the unknowns? Um, I think the first thing that I always try and hold first and foremost, no matter what I feel on the inside, is that I don't want to hurt people. I think anything that hurts people whether it be religious or non-religious, is is generally bad. Um, and I think that even just something as small as that, as clear as it is, has really helped me kind of navigate my way through some really tricky questions uh, because a lot of that stuff is very real to a large number of people and it can easily hurt, damage, drive people away from the church, drive people away from God. So that's kind of my first thing is just anything that is hurting someone I can almost 100% say that's probably not a good thing. Um, the other thing that I need to keep reminding myself to do is that whenever I'm feeling confused or conflicted, I just have to listen to myself. Like I have to listen to what my body is saying. I have to listen to what my emotions are saying, listen to the people around me because as we learned last week, that is a really strong compass to kind of guide you where you need to be going. Um, I think it's really important to reclaim that and for me particularly I found a lot of strength in ignoring what people were telling me and following my gut instead and doing what I knew was right because I feel like at a base level we all have that. We all have something guiding us saying I know what I'm doing is right or I know what I'm doing is wrong and we have the ability to change that. Um, I feel like I'm pretty bad at this feel like uh, I'm pretty clueless um, so like I said before once one day at a time that's probably it one day at a time and then I think that the other thing is that when I am uh, like trying to think through ideas trying to think through like when I think 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 
to do a bit more what we were talking about last week and just to breathe and to to be and um, not try and not try and think and just let the doubt flow I think uh, I want to I, I don't think I know I want to echo what Sam has said around that trusting your intuition um, trusting your bodies trusting your gut and knowing that there's validity to that then the next part of that that I think is really important for me personally is acknowledging the intentional creation of God in creating humankind so looking at other people taking in their wisdom and their insight and trying to learn from that now obviously that's nuanced as is everything um, but I think that's really key and then for me this might seem like a simple way of looking at it but asking myself do my convictions match the life and words of Jesus so Jesus example as a model um, for generous self-sacrificing love for inclusion and for valuing the dignity of human life it has to hark back that to that for me yeah thank you each for sharing vulnerably um yeah i think for me it's always holding the scales of god is ultimately unknowable and inexpressible um, God also can be known and has been enfleshed in some way and revealed to us and just always uh, leaning, just like doing this continually of, uh, of, you know, the God that I know is about justice and life and well-being and flourishing of all life and is reconciling all things and so moving towards that. But as soon as I kind of get hardcore on like being like, and I know everything, like, nope, go back on the other scale. Like, you know, there are things that you don't know. Uh, and I think one way of safeguarding that for me is... Um, the, the image of the body of Christ and the church being the body of Christ. So uh, the vast diversity of who the church is across the globe being the people who put flesh on Christ, who reveal divinity to us and that we will only ever be able to kind of encounter that or know that when we have all parts present and respected uh, and in conversation and moving together. Um, so really trying to safeguard that by listening to voices and having everyone in the room wherever you can, I think for me has been important. Um, one thing that I've been asking all of our panellists to share at the end um, is a piece of text uh, a Bible passage, a poem, a piece of writing that gives you hope through the waves. Um, it's really simple and stupid but fun. Um, it's, it's stuck with me for the longest time. It's – oh, I can't believe I'm about to say how dumb this is. Um, it's just something – it fills me with childlike joy and it – kind of steadies me it's like pretty close to number one contender for my first tattoo probably um very simple and it goes like this you have a brain in your head and feet in your shoes so steer yourself any direction you choose dr seuss baby 
Um, I don't. I don't actually don't have a piece that I can share with you now. This is more like a recommendation. Um, I, f I have found this book really helpful, which is Streams of Living Water by uh, Richard Foster, and that talks that talks about different Christian traditions over um, over centuries. And um, it's been really helpful to me because evangelical is one of the six in this book and um, it's really helpful to me to really understand the other five as defined by this author. Um, and then a couple of podcasts that I find really interesting and helpful, which is uh, Renovare podcasts um, that is really that's conversations which I find really helpful and then uh, so that's this is heady the book the book and the podcast is in the thinking if I want to be in the in the, the being um, there's a podcast called pray as you go which is a um, uh, I think it's Ignatian but it's a 15 minute meditations type thing not quite um, oh, that's released every day so I find that one helpful too. Um, for me, I, I always come back to um, a Bible verse from Romans 6, and I love reading, and a million things crossed my mind when I asked to do this, but it comes back to that, that verse, for I am convinced that neither life nor death nor height nor depth and there's a few more, nor anything, in el any else in, uh, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from what? From the love of God. From the love of God. And I think that's, that's the most beautiful sentiment of the Christian faith, that there is a God who is inherently loving and who is ever-present. And so... Through all the doubt, through all the wondering, through all the stress, through all the massive questions, I can come back to that knowledge that I am loved, that my neighbour is loved, that we are loved, and we can go out into the world sharing and expressing that same love that was given to us. Yeah, and just circling back to the, um, the place where we started of the binary, of that actually being something where there's no barrier nothing separates that there is that's inseparable no binary there um, thank you so much for sharing in such a beautiful conversation and going to some big places and some deep places and really voicing things that yeah from the depths of your hearts thank you so much